You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Many of you got to gather with us on this past Friday night at the wonderful Bacon's home, and we squished in about 25 cars on their driveway. That was pretty amazing. And Brad Watson, who is the lead equipping pastor for Soma Culver City and helps with Soma Global, uh, got to teach us and encourage us as we think about the, the big word that has a lot of different meanings, the word deconstruction and maybe some different questions that people ask Jesus in the Gospels. And so I hope that was encouraging to you. And I said, well, you're out for Friday. Why don't you teach also on Sunday uh, in our Letters to the Church series? And so Brad's going to be teaching us this morning. Uh, I'm really excited to have Brad and Nora as well, his daughter, who's sitting next to him. She's pretty great as well, arguably greater than Brad. So you might want to get to know her. Um, and they've been staying with us the last couple of days, which has been really fun, especially for my kids. Uh, this is, the vision of this really is to continue to develop partnership between really a sister church of ours, which is Soma Culver City. Uh, they've been around for more than a decade, just like us, and they're one of those long-standing Soma churches that I think we have a lot in common, a lot in partnership that we can do and have done, and we also are both in big cities, um, different, LA, I'm not going to compare the two. At least our, our basketball team is doing a little bit better this year and hasn't deconstructed like the Lakers, but other than that... I wasn't as good as I like planned it, but <laughs> I had to get that in. Let me pray for Brad, and he's going to lead us in our Letters to the Church series. Lord Jesus, God the Father and Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us, that we would join in with this community that you've created with yourself and invited us in, that we might ex experience your presence, we might taste your goodness, we might be encouraged and equipped as your church, even through words of challenge in these letters that we've been looking at. Would your, would your, your kindness lead us to repentance? And would Brad uh, seek to uh, speak only your words today, whatever you might have to say, through him to us? Thank you for him and for Nora and for the ways that they've encouraged us as a congregation this weekend. And in Jesus' name, amen. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, it's good to meet a lot of you on Friday night and see a lot of you. And yeah, we're going to do more of the, the letters of Revelation uh, or the letters in Revelation. I'll just do one, I guess, more specific. Uh, it, we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read it to begin. This is nice elements you guys have. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, uh, this is what it says. The angel of the church, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opened, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut, and I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep 
you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Yeah. Yeah, some good thanks be to God's out there. That was good. So the, this is a great passage. I don't know if you, when you were read, hearing it, you thought, man, that's a great passage. But it is. Uh, I, what I like is that it, it speaks to this truth that, that, that we all belong to the, to the mission of God or the, the missio Dei, uh, just to, you know, throw you guys a bone here. Yeah. Uh, but it's the mission of God is like a rocket or like a missile that, that, that you become part of it. Uh, it engulfs you and then it launches you into this incredible race, this incredible life. Uh, you're sent into the world. It's amazing. It's wonderful. There's reclaiming the, the dead things to life. The broken things get mended. You just get to participate in that for the rest of your days. Like that's that when he's talking about there's this door that's been open and you've walked through that door, right? He says, I know your deeds. I have a place, I have placed in front of you a door that no one can shut. That, that to come into Christ and to come into his family is to walk through that door into this completely unknown kind of world. Like in the Chronicles of Narnia, when they walk through you know, the wardrobe and enter into a new world, or they get sucked into that painting, right? In the, in the following ones, right? In the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the, the second best one because I told you guys all on Friday that Horse and His Boy is the best one. Anyway, you've walked through that door. Uh, you've been faithful. Uh, you've battled uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit temptations that take hold of you as the mission of God advances within your own soul and, and more things get reclaimed with peace and the fullness of God. Uh, you've been faithful and you've walked into things that are hard like foster care or pleading for justice on, the, on behalf of people that cannot plead for themselves. Uh, you've walked through the door of community where you've opened your soul and your life to other people where they could hurt you and harm you and they did and then you still pursued restoration with them. You walked into all of those doors. That's what it means when you get launched into the kingdom of God. You know, you've cried with people who have mourned. And you've had no words to say, no, no uh, even psalms to come to your mind, and, but you've been there quietly weeping with those who mourn. You know, you've, you've battled demons. Uh, you fought diligently for peace in all of its ways. And Jesus says to this church, uh, like you, he says, I know your deeds. Uh, and there's another door open to you. It's like the, you've done those things. You know, I think that's what's great about Christian community. Sometimes we talk about how Christianity is really terrible and bad. Uh, but one of the, the, the truths of it is that by far most people proclaiming Jesus and have been encountered or have an encounter with Jesus live this kind of life. They really do. And he says, I know your deeds. And you've gone through the door. It's like as to go to the other uh, inkling. Uh, it says, Tolkien writes, as Bilbo Baggin, you know, it's a dangerous business, Frodo going out your door. You step on the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. That's what's happened to you. 
Uh, that, or if you're on the verge of coming to faith or believing, like that's what will happen to you, just so you're completely aware. Uh, that's the journey of, of walking with Jesus, and it truly is wonderful and incredible. But let's also be real and completely honest. It's exhausting. Everything I just described is tiring. Uh, it lets you feel feeble. I don't know if I've ever, you know, uh, you know, noticed this passage at all before. Uh, but as I've been reading it this week, I, I've just been so drawn to what Jesus says to this church. It's as if Jesus is looking directly at me too, and he says, I know you have little strength. I've seen your deeds. There's this door. You've walked into it, and you have little strength. Jesus looks to us and says, I know you are tired. I don't know if I've ever been more seen or exposed by words of Jesus than these words, I know you're exhausted. Anybody else tired or have little strength? Only about four of you. That's really impressive. Okay, there we go. More hands? I'll, I'll wait. Any other hands? Okay. So the rest of the sermon's not going to be a waste. There's probably some spiritual voice inside of you that's kind of whispering, uh, saying, uh, no, but Jesus is your rest, so it should be okay. You know, don't raise your hand. You're not tired because we all know the true answer. Like, Jesus is your Sabbath rest, blah, blah, blah. I'm not tired. I'm just, you know, walking with Jesus. Or you might say some sort of silly things like, this is just a season of life. Uh, this is just a thing that's happening. I don't know if you've ever talked to people who've gone through all the seasons of life, but they're all seasons of work. I don't know if you've been around farmers who actually do, you know, cultivating stuff, but each season is a season of work. Like, there's not this season where you just relax. Uh, even retirement now is a, is a labor. I don't know if you've noticed how hard people who retire have to work to keep their RVs going and keep, you know, all of that stuff running around here you have a lot of those folks right playing golf that's a lot of work a lot of resilience you got to do to get out there in the heat and hit a little white ball around uh, but there's also probably uh, an accusation within you maybe that says you know if you're exhausted it's probably because you haven't depended on god enough like if you're tired in this season if you have little strength if you're weak it's because you haven't fully depended on God enough. And so your fatigue is kind of your fault. Uh, maybe there's also maybe this uh, narrator of a film of your life. I don't know if you, you know, I think that's the beauty of the Walkman and the iPod and then the earbuds is that we all get to imagine that there's this soundtrack to our lives as we walk into grocery stores and go to the, you know, and you might have a narrator over your life that you hear, and they're like, well, uh, she's exhausted, but she left it all out there for, for the king of the world, for Jesus. Uh, he's a martyr for Christ. Few could have done it, but he did it. Maybe you have that kind of narrator over you. But here's the truth. Following Jesus is so all-encompassing. Your whole self has to be part of it. That it's only the, the people who deceive themselves that can admit that following Jesus is tiring and exhausting, and hard. Jesus actually admits it over and over again to people who want to follow him. This is just a highlight reel of it. He says, if you're going to follow me, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. 
That's a, that's a this is hard work image. He says, anyone who comes after me will not have a place to put their head because I don't. Are you ready for that? That sounds tiring to me. If you want to follow me, sell all that you have to the poor. Then he also says, narrow is the gate, hard is the path that leads to righteousness. That, doesn't, that definitely does not fit into our, you know, golden highway leading to more and more Costco's, like picture of what life should be like. He's saying fatigue, it, at least it seems to me that fatigue and exhaustion and of laying your whole life out, putting your head on your pillow at night, tired, isn't just some sort of byproduct that might happen to some people. He seems to think that it's expected, like that it's going to happen. You are going to be tired. And in this passage, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. You know, the other churches, he, he talks about them a little nicely for a while, and he says, but I have this thing against you, right? He doesn't do that with this church. He doesn't rebuke them and say, you know, you've done really good deeds, but I have this thing against you. You're tired, and you're burning out. He doesn't say that. The only imperative that Jesus gives to them is that they hold on to what they have so that no one will take their crown. Uh, he doesn't say, I know you're tired, so get busy resting. He doesn't say, I can't believe you're tired. I can't believe you let this happen. Start balancing your life. You know, start doing the hard work of Sabbath. He doesn't say these things to them. It's, I, I find it, I was looking for it, honestly. It's like, okay, cool, this passage is about weariness. Let's, let's, let, let me find the things to make sure people won't be weary anymore. You know, because we live in a cultural climate that says anything that makes you feel tired must be bad. If you feel fatigue or discomfort or exhaustion in any sort of thing, it must be bad. I mean, I see it on soccer fields. I see it in businesses. I see it in, like, teamwork. It's like, I'm just tired right now. Therefore, I must stop. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't tell them any of that. And what I really want you to know is this, and I think it's really important for our times and our moment uh, just in this world. It's not a sin to be tired. Like it is not a sin to be tired today. Uh, to have little strength, as he describes it. And it's not always a sign that something is wrong when you're tired. Sometimes it can be a sign that something is right. Uh, Jesus, in his opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, says something very poignantly, uh, and this is from the message because it, it says what I want it to say. Uh, it says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. And I just kind of wonder, maybe God wants us to be a little tired. Maybe he actually loves it when we're empty and we're spilling out our lives to pursue him. And not just for other people, but even pursuing the kingdom reigning in our own souls and life. Jesus declares to his disciples, you must decrease so that I must increase, right? Like that's the, the dynamic at play. And then Jesus says to this church in Philadelphia, I know you're tired, and I know that you're weary. I know you have little strength. I think it's worth it just a little bit to describe a, a kind of holistic biblical theology of exhaustion or what you guys do, like the, the symbols of the story. I might not hit all the symbols, but here we go. 
the rest of this, this scripture on every page, it's kind of overwhelmingly in favor of humanity working and being tired, at least expending energy and effort and enduring that. Uh, in the garden, uh, God tells the first humans, be fruitful, cultivate, subdue the earth. Really a, a word that, that's the subduing the earth, really this word and this image of taming a wild animal like a wild horse bringing it back. That seems like some work, right? And the, we think the Garden of Eden, they must have just been on vacation, like laying down in the sun bathing and all of that stuff, right? Like a nudist colony. But really, they were working, subduing all creation. Uh, in the rebellion, the curse isn't that work is suddenly tiring or hard. It seems like work was already hard and would leave you exhausted, like the, the first humans had to rest and sleep, right? What he's talking about in the curse, what happens is not that work becomes hard, but that work becomes empty, and work becomes a source of wounding, the, the thorns and the, the thistles and the, the vanity and the, the void and the vapid reality of I'm working, but nothing seems to be happening. But exhaustion is not the curse, uh, through the exodus and their wandering, God doesn't rebuke them because they became tired or they became hungry or they became thirsty. Like he's not the, the, the hardcore dad who comes and says, I can't believe, you know, you're tired. That sweat leaving your body is weakness leaving your body. Like he doesn't say that to them. Uh, their, their, their rebuke isn't because they're hungry and tired and dirty from walking through the journey that he's given them. He, he's upset with them because they complain and they, because they rebel, because they don't think that God could give them the rest and the satisfaction and the, the quench their thirst and give them enough food day by day. That's the rebuke to them. They didn't believe that he could meet them or that he had authority to call them into a life that could lead to exhaustion. They questioned, does he really have what it takes to tell me to walk this path? And does he even care? Is he even concerned with me? And time and time again, it gets revealed that he is concerned with them. The people of Israel spent most of their time after they get, got into the land uh, avoiding exhaustion. They, they wanted to avoid hard things. Like, why didn't they ever do the year of Jubilee, which is a great topic that I shouldn't have brought up. But why did they not do any of the caring for the widow and the orphan and the alien? Why did they stop? Why did they, they stop or never do it? Because they wanted to avoid the things that seemed exhausting and tiring. After all, look at all those people that tried. You know, look at their lives. They have gray hair and stuff. But because of this, because they avoided that exhaustion uh, and those tiring days and the cost of faithfulness, that's how they entered exile. And the one thing that they really had against them is that they broke the law, right? In, the, in this moment of, of promise of trying to be the people that God created them to be. Uh, they, they forgot the foundation of the entire law and the commands, which is this, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and what? Strength. And then Jesus says to this church, he says, you have little strength. That's pretty fascinating. Ironically, you know, the fastest way, I think, to experience burnout is to avoid giving your entire self to love for God. Why? Because all the other things that you're going to give your heart to, your mind to, your strength to, if they're not ordered underneath and placed underneath this fountain of abundance love from God, 
all of those other things you're going to give your mind, heart, and strength to will definitely leave you exhausted because they don't care if you're a renewable resource or an expendable resource. They will consume you until there's nothing left. But the God of love just wants to shower love over you while you expend your strength. Uh, Jesus enters into a weary world in the incarnation. It's one of the, you know, beautiful songs that we sing at an Advent, right? The weary world rejoicing. Yeah, it's a good tune. We could sing it year-round. I'd be happy with it. And when we sing Easter songs every year or every week, right? There it is. Sing Joy to the World next week. If you don't, Bad Palm Sunday. When, when Jesus enters the world, he pursues the tired and the exhausted. He says, come to me, all who are weary, heaven laden, and I will give you rest. You know, he stands at the fountain that's supposed to commemorate the water that came out of the rocks from Moses. And he says, all who are thirsty, come and drink. Like he pursues that. Uh, he pursues the, the heavy laden, the exhausted, the tired. But he also calls people into a life that's tired and exhausting. The only time Jesus ever rebukes people for fatigue, the only time is when he's in the garden uh, and he's facing the curse of the garden and his disciples fall asleep and they do not keep watch over him. It's the only time, it's a specific time and it's a, it's a profound thing that they choose comfort over suffering alongside of Jesus because he thought they had it within them to stay awake. He thought that they had it within them to be there while he pleaded before God for there to be some other way to remove the curse of the garden. And they couldn't stay awake. Implied to me is that they, is that they have given, uh, or sorry, when in Philadelphia then, we come all the way to this point where Jesus says again, he says, I know your deeds. I'm opening a door to you. You have little strength left. You're weary. I think what's implied in all of those words is that they have given themselves and their life to the love of the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then what happens is he celebrates it. Uh, he cele Why? Right after the, those words, he says this, you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. Uh, later on, he says that they kept the command to endure patiently. You know, to the other church, he says, wake up, uh, to love as they did at first, to repent of immorality. But to this church, he says, you're living the true meaning of endurance. And that's ultimately, this all hasn't been a long introduction, but that's ultimately what this passage, I think, is all about. What this uh, teaching this morning is all about is what does it really mean to endure? I think we've gone sideways with thinking it's about balance. Or maybe if we could get enough practices, like infused in our life, uh, or if we could uh, listen to the right podcasts or the right music or drink the right oils or put them on our, you know, then we'll get out of it. But that's endurance. But he, he gives us the true meaning of endurance here. When things are hard and when we're tired, how do we keep moving? A few things on what endurance is not, because that's the only way I know how to teach, tell you what it's not. Um, my bad. Apologies. Endurance is not going through the motions when you're tired just to keep moving on, to just go through the motions. There's this one time 
uh, Kevin Platt and I actually went to Salt Lake City to, to help and, and do some stuff with the church there. And one of the guys was a cross, the leaders was a CrossFit gym like owner. And he's like, I think it'd be really great if we did the, what's it called, a WAD or something like that? Workout of a day, everything acronymed because there's not enough time to explain anything. So then uh, we, he's like, I, w- I think it'd be really great if we started this whole thing off with, you know, a workout. And it was like, okay, great. And it was turning over tires. And it's like, what is it? Why are we turning over? <laughs> There's no purpose in it just to keep doing and doing and going through this rotation. And part of it had to do with doing burpees, you know, where you, you know, lay down on the floor and do a push up and jump up and put your hands in the air and do it over and over again. Chris knows what I'm talking. Y'all are, some of y'all do this as a lifestyle. It's an identity. Anyway, uh, we were doing that, uh, and I was, like, tired because that's not what I do with my life, obviously. And eventually this guy who, the coach, or I don't know, the tormentor, he said, hey, I'm not doing even close to doing a push-up or the burpee at all. He's like, Brad, just fall down, get up. Just fall down, get up. I was like, Oh, well, I'm not doing the exercise anymore. He's like, yeah, just lay down on the ground and then stand back up, and that counts. It's like, but it doesn't, right? Like, I'm not anywhere close. I, I see what you're doing, and I'm now just getting on the ground and standing back up again. And I think that uh, a lot of us, our definition of endurance is that. I just, uh, things are hard. I really can't take another step, but I'm just going to plop myself back down and get back. I'm going to go through the motions in this group, and we're all going to pretend like uh, I'm still doing the exercise. But I know I'm not doing it, and you know I'm not doing it. But within Christian communion, we say, that's endurance. Just keep doing it. Just keep going through the motions. But that's not it. Uh, Endurance is also not stoically separating your mind from your emotion and just plowing through, uh, where we try to experience some sort of existential differentiation where we have our, uh, our minds over here uh, that's just so strong and so uh, capable uh, of, of doing more, and then we have all the hurt and the wounds and the sadness and the grief of the life that I've described, and we just say, put that away and keep your mind, you know, going forward. That's also not endurance. Endurance is... I think it says in this passage, is keeping the name of Jesus on your mouth, keeping the name of Jesus in your soul, keeping it in your life. He says uh, he commends them because they, he sees, I see you have little strength. I see that you're tired. I see that you're weary, yet you have not taken my name out of your mouth. You've kept it. You've kept my word there. You've kept my command you know, it reminds me of the, the confession that Peter and the other disciples give to Jesus when he says, hey, you know, like, if you guys want to leave, you can leave too because these other people are leaving. And Peter says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You know, we've come to know and we've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. What does endurance actually look like, the person who can wake up in the middle of the night and say, but Jesus is still on his throne and he is still God, that, that his name is still the name above all other names, like his name is the, the name that, that even names me and gives me an identity and a meaning and a purpose, and I'm not going to walk away from that. 
That's, I think, the, this biblical definition of endurance. And then their good deeds and their labor and their faithfulness to obey God, it's all an outflow of that declaration that Jesus is the king of heaven and earth. It's all an implication of Jesus being who he said he would be and believing it and walking towards it. That endurance isn't just about getting through the motions, but it's can you keep his name on your mouth? Can you keep uh, his commands and keep faithfully moving forward holistically as a person? Uh, and here's my, my final question, uh, and you guys are going to talk about it. I don't know how long I'm supposed to go. My bad. Uh, Charlie didn't tell me. I don't know. Anyway, y'all are going to turn on your little rows. Y'all make your own rows. It's cute. Uh, you're going to turn to each other, and I want you to answer this question. If that's what it is, if that's endurance, and if following Jesus is tired and all of those things, Why? Like, why, why do this? I want you to look in uh, the, this chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. You could look above it, too, if you want to be really creative. But I just want you to answer this question with your, your neighbor or something. Why would we endure? Why would we keep giving our whole selves to this cause? All right, you're going to have, like, three minutes to do it. Four minutes. I don't know. Like, you tell a child three minutes, that, that amount of three minutes. All right, go for it. All right, all right. Here we are on the home stretch. I'd love to hear from a few of you groups to explain or to say uh, in your own words uh, why we should endure based on this passage, the, the things written here in these verses. Why, why would we do this? Why would we endure past the point where we have little strength? Yeah, you guys can go for it. Yeah. You get to rest in heaven? Yeah. He says times, the time's coming soon, right? He's, there's, a, there's a brevity thing. This is a momentary life. It's really short. Uh, that's what's great about Lent. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. People in our church are complaining. We're talking about death so much. It's like, yeah, it's kind of good to know that you're going to die. Yeah. What else? That's good, yeah. That, yeah, it's even, maybe that's a way of, like, holding on to the crown. Like, you hold on to the crown because, you know, like, let's not just, you know, let it, what's that called? Uh, when you, when your muscles start, stop working, atrophy, yeah, yeah. To, to endure the things to, ahead, yeah. Mm. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, so we endure to keep being formed by God instead of being formed by these other things. That's good. Yeah. Any others? said she's not impressed by people who fall down and get back up just so you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah she's saying that to do it uh, with the fire and to continue to endure with a purpose and a meaning and with, with a love for God is so different than just enduring to get through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in your weakness, he makes himself strong. Yeah, even this past week, there's, I'm, believe it or not, I'm the kind of person that enters into meetings and conversations knowing exactly what's right so and what to do. And this past week, something has come up that I have no idea what to do. And I talk to people for like an hour about it, and then at the end, realize I've just been talking because I have no idea what to do, believe that or not. Uh, And this week, I actually went into a meeting and said, I have no idea what to do. And I I think the only thing I know how to do is to not do this meeting anymore until we pray and know what to do. And I thought that was going to make me look so bad. And it did, but it made Jesus look really good. And later on in the week when we felt like we didn't know what to do. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, we endure because our work isn't in vain. The, the kingdom isn't uh, disappearing before us. But uh, it's eternal, and we have it to, to grab hold of. Yeah, I think, I think that you see that all of those things in this passage. It talks about how Jesus says, I'm coming soon. You know, this is a momentary life. Then he also talks about how he's going to shield them, uh, and he's going to save them from damnation and from trial and for, for the purging of the earth as he makes a new heavens and a new earth right here among us. He talks about how he's made us victorious, that we have like this incredible victory that he's done for us. And so why, why can we not help but endure because we've already won the race? You know, it's like run this race, you've won. Uh, you should just do it. It's kind of like my, kid, my little kids, uh, and I guess not anymore, but when they played tiny year old soccer, 
It's like they all get a trophy, you know, and so there's some problems in that systemically. But I think there's something about the joy of a child who plays a game knowing that at the end, they've essentially get to reap all the spoils of being victorious and being the winner, you know, and I, I wonder if we could recapture that joy of playing the game, running the race, knowing that we're going to be victorious at the end, no matter what. Uh, at the very end, he talks about how Jesus uh, has, is going to write his name on us, that we're like a pillar, and he's going to write our names on, on that pillar. It's the name of God. It's the name of the city. It's the new name of God, and that, that that's what is going to happen to us. Uh, you know, a few verses later, chapters later, he talks about how there's this scroll that has all the names of life, and he's going to unroll it, and then, then he's just going to read it, the one worthy, the lamb, who, the one who's worthy to open up all this life. He's going to read it all out, and they're going to call our names. There's going to be, you know, all these names from different cultures and times and generations, and he's, God's just going to be reading these names like a graduation service, but really exciting. And, and at the end, you're going to hear amongst all of these strange names, you'll hear your name, and you're going to know it's you, and you're going to walk into the kingdom of God. That's really powerful, right? That's a powerful reality that's true. But what he's talking about here is that on you, the thing that actually matters, like there, there's your name on the Rolodex, like checking into a concert or something, but then there's also that you walk in with a badge and a name tag, and the name tag in the kingdom of God is not you, but it's the name of the living God who created and formed the world and then redeemed it and restored it, and that's the end. Like, that's the whole end of your, your existence and your life, and I know that you have little strength now, but it's like Jesus tells his disciples to pray. He tells them, Father, he tells them to pray, Father, holy be your name. Let me magnify your name. May your name be up in the highest. And so uh, as our response, you're going to have a few minutes as the, you know, to, to respond and to consider. Uh, I wonder if we could uh, not do it as individuals, but do it collectively. Uh, just kind of say right now uh, some of the names of God. Uh, say the name of, of, of who he is and what he's done. Uh, just to, and I'm going to sit down, and so you can just say them out loud, stand up and say, you know, whatever the name is that you think of. I don't want to steal anybody's. Uh, but I will steal one person. Uh, that the name of God, that the name over the city, that that new name, I think of the name salvation. That Jesus' name actually means the Lord will save sinners. I think of the name Emmanuel, that God is with us. Uh, and so let's, let's respond and let's declare more of those names or characteristics or attributes of, of God uh, as we run this race and as we endure. So you, you guys can do that now. Yeah.